Hey everyone, welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Each week I'll review one entry in the bibliography of Stephen King in the chronological order of publication. And uh, really, I, I've, I've got to come up with a, with a new introduction because it just doesn't fit anymore now that I've actually completed that, that mission statement. So here we are again. Uh, for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, welcome everybody. Welcome to the Stephen King cast. As I just stated originally, this was conceived um, as, as my journey through Stephen King's works in the chronological order of publication. Well, I did that. I, I went from Carrie all the way to uh, End of Watch, everything in between with a lot of the movie reviews as well. So uh, when, when I completed that, I, I, I tackled some top 10 episodes. Uh, you know, I, I kind of compiled lists of, of top 10 Stephen King's greatest supporting characters, Stephen King's top 10, uh, you know, most memorable moments, top 10 Dark Tower moments, top 10 short stories. Top 10 Heroes, Top 10 Villains. And then uh, then I reviewed uh, 112263 episode by episode from Hulu. And then, uh, you know, just some, you know, odds and ends here and there. Uh, and over the last few weeks, I've been reviewing Netflix's Stranger Things due to the, um, the fact that it is so heavily inspired by Stephen King. So if this is your first time tuning in, you know, like I said, welcome. Uh, I, I, if you haven't listened to any episode before this, you have a, a plethora of, of Stephen King cast episodes to get all of my thoughts on Stephen King. I like to, to take a deep dive into each of his works. And for those of you who are, are longtime listeners, thanks for coming back, guys. I can't do it without you. And, and you know the drill. What I'm going to do right now, I'm going to uh, kind of shamelessly plug my own stuff. Um, you know, over the past year, I've been lucky enough. You know, I, I know that there's a lot of writers that listen to this particular podcast. By the way, anyone that, that is a, a, a writer out there and does have that creative side, um, I, I think it's a priority that you listen to the Story Grid podcast. It's a fantastic podcast. Um, even if you don't take their advice, just listening to them is really going to... Uh, it, it's just it, it makes your you know the, the fertile ground for for imagination. Uh, it, it, it's just, it's a great conversation between a, a struggling writer and a longtime uh, editor in the publishing field, and they just um, the, the 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 podcast host the, uh, the the writer he he'll just ask questions, and the the editor will um, will answer. Um, very analytically, very critically, and uh, you draw upon his experience as an editor in the actual field um, that he's, he's, he's had that job for, for decades. And every episode has a particular theme, and they, they, they take a deep dive. And it's just, for anyone that has that, uh, that creative side, I think that this is a, a very, very strong podcast that you all should be listening to. It's one that I, I definitely enjoy. So I wanted to make sure that I, I, I plugged uh, the Story Grid podcast. So you know, as as people out there know, you know, I, I a lot of us, you know, definitely dabble in writing, and we know how hard it is to to, to get published. And so I've I've been lucky, and lucky definitely is 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 the word. I've been lucky enough to have been published uh, at least five times this this past year. Hopefully, some some more on the way. Um, and I just want to give you some options out there. If you went out and purchased, and you can get all of these through Amazon, if you purchased Dark Moon Digest issue number 22, you can find my short story, Room 207, um, in which a, uh, a, a tired traveler uh, makes a pit stop at probably the, the, the worst hotel or the worst motel he possibly could imagine. Um, 
You can also, in the pages of Nine Tales Told in the Dark, issue number nine, you'll find the story, This World Will Eat You All the Way Up, in which two college friends, uh, they kind of stop being friends in the pages of that short story. Uh, in Wax and Wayne, A Gathering of Witch Tales, an anthology of, of witch stories, you'll find my story, Hopscotch, in which a 13-year-old girl, um, 13-year-old girls can be so vile, so evil sometimes, and this 13-year-old girl bumps up into a greater evil. In the Skeptics Must Die uh, anthology, you'll find my short story, The Portrait. The portrait is of uh, two inept ghost hunters uh, kind of biting off more than they could chew. Um, and so that's that, that's what we have. Uh... Oh, and then we also have Forget Me Not, a story of, of identity and, and relationships found in the Trists of Fate magazine. So there's some options for you, everyone. I, I hope that you, you seek them out because I think that you'll find some enjoyment. So up next we have uh, a listener email from Gabe who writes, uh, Dear Stephen King cast, I, I've just discovered your podcast and really enjoyed it. Just listened to your top uh, 16 Dark Tower moments and I agreed with most of them. Um, I don't know if I could pick a number one moment, but it would probably be from The Gunslinger, which is my favorite of the seven, so I'm glad it featured uh, you featured it so much on your list. I'm a writer, blogger, and an SK fan, and in particular, I have two websites I think that you might like if you haven't seen them before. First, back in 2011, I made a chapter-by-chapter -chapter analysis of It, which you can see here at, and it's HTTP, okay, you, you, know, all, you know all that, so it's, it's Stephen King's It dot weebly.com so everyone make sure that you check that out as you can guess it is one of an all um, one of my all-time favorite novels and i found i had a lot to say about it and i found that sorting my thoughts by chapter was a great way to give critique both positive and negative i actually just recently reread it again last month the book always has something new to say to me the other is a seven-part blog series on the dark tower where i actually gave each book in the series an individual article I wrote these back in 2014 to celebrate the 10th year anniversary of the completion of the series. You can click on the intro here and then follow the link through all seven pages. Um, and, I, and if you go to letusnerd.com, I think you'll be able to find it. Again, I gave a fair critique and I am sometimes positive and sometimes negative. I'm sure you'll probably agree and disagree with some of my comments, but what matters is that we're both very passionate about this series. The Dark Tower has been a part of my life since I was 13 and it has affected me deeply. I hope you can check out my stuff or if you're too busy, maybe at least give it a plug on your podcast. I plan on listening to more of your episodes as I get more time. Good to meet you and I hope to be in touch. Gabe Rodriguez. Um, and you can go to gaberodriguez.weebly.com for more thoughts from this constant reader so um gabe thanks for writing in um when i get a chance i'll definitely check out these websites in the meantime anyone that's listening um as soon as you're done with the podcast why don't you just go on over uh to, to any of those sites and and check out what what gabe has to to say because i think that's important that we support each other out there and hear each other's thoughts all right, so what I'm going to do now, I'm going to get into my review of Stranger Things Episode 4. Um, before I, I do that, I'm going to just read the very quick Wikipedia summary that they have before getting into my actual thoughts. And so Wikipedia states, L proves to the boys that Will is still alive by making contact through Mike's walkie-talkie. They decide to use their science teacher, Mr. Clark's more powerful ham radio to contact Will. At a memorial for Will, Mike confronts bully Troy and his friend laughing about Will's death. Before Troy can attack, L causes Troy to freeze and urinate on himself. Using the radio, L and the boys... Um... 
I just completely lost my Ellen the boys over here will talking to his mother saying that he's afraid and that it's dark and cold where he is simultaneously Joyce hears him through her living room wall and tears the wallpaper revealing a flesh-like substance on the wall with will on the other side she breaks the wall with an axe but opens only to her front porch examining jonathan's photo of barb nancy realizes the monster is also visible jonathan realizes nancy's description of the monster matches his mother's a humanoid figure with long arms and no face Hooper confronts, sorry, Hopper confronts the state trooper who found Will's body. Suspicious, he goes to the morgue, cuts open Will's body, and discovers that it's a dummy. He heads to the laboratory. Review. Chapter 4. The Body. Any Stephen King, can, Stephen King fan worth his or her salt will know the reference to this title. Chapter 4. The Body. Just as the first episode began, we begin with the stars. We pan down to the buyer's house, which looks insane this house looks insane they're looking at the wall that joyce claims something tried to come through and joyce is adamant that whoever they found in the quarry is not will though her ramblings about communicating through the lights is dead accurate the evidence points towards the death of the child and hopper can't deny this look guys this series is is is, is littered with good performances uh, the, the mysterious, chilly, obsessive, detached, yet paternal performance of Matthew Modine. The manic and motherly performance of Winona Ryder. That is criticized in some circles as being stuck in the same gear or one note throughout, but I, I think she does fine. Dustin, Mike, Lucas. Um, fantastic child actors. Uh, Millie Bobby Brown in, in A League of Her Own. But I, I think really that our MVP here is David Harbour who in the weeks following the release of, of this show has emerged as a kind and thoughtful leader of his cast, bringing a warm and complimentary social media presence with charming photos of himself with Millie Bobby Brown and tweeting about his pride that the top IMDb search is for Winona and Natalie Dyer and Millie Bobby Brown. So my point is, is that the actor seems to fully have embraced the role his character seems to have in the show. A din to this quartet, if you will. And he makes every scene with this character crackle. So watching Hopper as he tries to convince Joyce to accept the truth by using his own loss of his daughter as a source of credibility, you can see the glisten of the tears in his eyes and you can see how personally he has taken this case for a multitude of reasons. One, he's a good cop who's been running from his true self since his daughter's death. Two, it's clearly hitting close to home. Three, he may or may not have had relations with Joyce, which makes this much more personal for him. Joyce, meanwhile, is adamant that her child is alive. She's not having it. She isn't leaving her son. As Joy Division begins to play, she heads outside to get an axe just in case the monster returns. Hop refuses to leave and stays in the car because here is where he should be. In the Wheeler house, Mike really lays into Elle as she tries to find the right frequency to show him that Will is alive. She stays focused as he hurls targeted insults at her, and soon enough, the disembodied voice of Will singing, Should I Stay or Should I Go, comes through the walkie-talkie. Everyone begins for their day, and Mike cons his mom into staying home alone. Mike, knowing that Will is somehow still alive, gets Lucas to meet up with him. 
The conspiracy continues to grow, and Hopper gets a bad feeling as he learns that the coroner did not conduct the autopsy, but instead someone from the state. He doesn't understand why someone else would conduct the autopsy, and it's not sitting well with him. As Joyce looks at the body that's presented to her, she asks the coroner, whoever it might be, to show her an identifiable birthmark. As Jonathan and Hopper discuss Joyce's vulnerabilities and her strengths, she bursts out of the office yelling about the thing that is in the place of her son. We're now halfway through the show, and I love how the Duffer brothers keep giving us weirder and weirder elements. Now, we know that Will is somehow still alive. We have to question what the deal is with this body is. And I love that it ends with Hopper pulling out actual stuffing from the dead body, or the dummy body. You know, that, that whole, this whole fake body thing, like, it, it just, to me, it was, it was giving me a real Halloween 3 vibe. And I gotta say, guys... I don't know what if, if history is sort of coming around on Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, um, but at the time it was, it was very derided. Um, it was a, a financial disaster, um, which is why they, they completely scrapped the John Carpenter's original idea of, of kind of doing an anthology series of movies, each movie focused on Halloween, with a completely different story following different characters, which... Um, I think is a fantastic idea, you know, and it's it's clearly something that has um, th that idea of an anthology uh, series has definitely made a comeback. I mean, we have uh, American Horror Story, uh, so a great idea, and, and Halloween Three is crazy. It's a crazy story and very unsettling, and the the song, the the, the Silver Shamrock Shamrock song, is is one of the 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 creepiest songs ever put to cinema and the the scene where the family is in the test living room um at, at silver shamrock headquarters where they they test uh the the what's going to happen on halloween night with the masks is one of the the greatest scenes out of out of horror the horror genre fantastic so i think that it gets a bum rush but i love the idea that you have this this movie about um uh warlocks stonehenge uh, and robot bodies. It's it's fantastic, and, and that, to me, it, it kind of is coming through this particular scene with this fake, very, very realistic body. Meanwhile, Steve and Nancy discuss Barb, and Steve shows just how selfish he actually is. With a missing girl who was at his house, he's more afraid of getting in trouble with his parents. It's a necessary moment to, to slow his face turn. He's still being just a selfish, hot-blooded, alpha male teen living in a normal world, oblivious to government conspiracies, experiments, monsters, and super-powered children. He's in his own movie, and he stays in that own movie for most of the series, and it, it, it's such a jarring transition for Steve uh, at, at, in the final episode. Um, it, his transition, his full transition, like breakthrough into the the rest of the narrative comes at one of the most as the, the most tense scenes in the series but the way he enters it, it offers a nice comedic beat as well and it it, it it feels full and true because of scenes like this jonathan and joyce give the town residents a hell of a show by the way it's a it's a super dramatic scene sure but it's purposefully so i mean it it, it allows us to not dwell in the sort of misery that, that that permeated the first season of the killing you know uh, you know what happens when we have the death of a child you know it, it, it keeps everything light 
and it also illustrates how the rest of the town must see this family. Trashy. And weird. And speaking of weirdos, the boys try to figure out what's going on with Will. Lucas is simultaneously level-headed and hot-headed. He's the voice of reason, bringing up the fact that they saw a body the night before, and regardless, he decides to go along with their plan and give it a shot. They're going to sneak into the school to see if Elle can use the school's radio system to communicate with Will. This prompts them to dress up Elle in order to make her pass for normal because, as Lucas constantly reminds us, she's such a weirdo. It results with an endearing but unnecessary story beat because, honestly, Eleven isn't E.T. here. She's just she's a cute kid with a shaved head. I, I, don't, I don't see the need to treat her like an alien. You know, I mean, an E.T. dressing, you know, E.T. up like, I, I understand that. This, I don't think she needs to kind of go undercover. Maybe it's a time period thing. Maybe uh, the shaved head would have made her somehow stand out worse um, than this laughably bad wig. Uh, maybe it's a joke that just went over my head. It's it's a minor nitpick, but it, it doesn't land um, as much as I, I believe it wanted to. I mean, with me, at least. Um, last episode, I discussed the life that Eleven was robbed of. Um, here, she sees herself dressed in a facsimile of that life, and... Oh, so maybe this, maybe this is it. Um, so it, it looks here like she's playing dress up. So in that sense, it 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 this this her dressing up kind of adds to her tragedy because she it doesn't look right. You know, it is a bad wig. Um, so it I think that in that sense it it um, it kind of just highlights that this is it, it can never be her life. So I, I guess you know what that that kind of does work. So I'll I'll stick with that. Um, down in the bowels of the facility, they, they, they use the winch from the previous episode to send an unfortunate goon through the pulsating portal. It segues to a very on-the-nose English class lesson uh, on the heart of darkness, and Nancy, lost in her own head, is asked to leave class in order to talk to Hep Hopper's deputy. She's there with her mom, and the cops are floating the idea that Barb took off. With the lab having taken the car, it creates that narrative for the cops to follow. Unfortunately for Nancy, the questions raise a number of questions regarding Steve. It's an incredibly uncomfortable moment for her and for us, knowing that her spot is about to be blown up. Hopper talks to the coroner, who discusses how he had been asked to leave by an ordinary number of state police. This boils into a fight between the two of them when they get home with Karen... Well, my bad... I don't know what... Sorry, bad note-taking. Um, really bad note-taking. I should have I caught that. Anyway, going back to Nancy and, and, and Karen, um, they, they, they get into a fight, uh, the two of them, when they get home with, with Karen desperately trying to be there for, for Nancy and wanting to engage in a conversation with her. Nancy, understandably, is frustrated. She's angry. She's hurt. She's embarrassed. She's guilty at the fact that her best friend is missing... Because she was abandoned, and the last thing she wants to talk about is her sex life with her mom. In her room, she tapes together Jonathan's ripped-up picture, which shows a cloudy image of a figure standing behind Barb at the pool. Back with the kids, they're riding through town, and it's a nice moment for Elle, who gets to be normal for this moment. They make it to the school, and right before the assembly for Will, and what we, um, and what we get is a series of wonderfully charming and comedic beats involving the kids interacting with the real hero of the story, Mr. Clark. Their entrance is uh, into a packed auditorium is just, it's, it's such, such a great moment. In the lab, Brenner communicates with the, the, the man who has entered the portal. 
the guy encounters the monster and they try to pull him back into our world. There's a great tug of war with the winch in a scene reminiscent from the mist and the bloody plate holding that uh, that was holding uh, the, the the winch to the man is is dragged back. In the auditorium, Troy and his mouth-breather buddy are making fun of Will. Mike has had enough, and he calls them out as soon as the assembly is over. Troy doubles down on his douchery, and Mike shoves him. In one of the more fist-pumping moments of the show, as Troy gets up to attack Mike, Elle literally puts him in his place and forces him to pee his pants. It's awesome to watch the entire student body laugh at the bully, but I'd like Mike to be able to stand up for himself. However, I do love the idea that the girl is coming to the boys' rescue, an inversion of the classic damsel in distress trope. At the funeral parlor, Nancy meets up with Jonathan to discuss the ripped up picture. They now join forces, their respective storylines merge, and they begin their arc together. Traditional narrative would build this as a love triangle, and though Steve sees it this way, I never really did, which is fine. I can't see Nancy with Jonathan anyway, and to me, it'd be forced to see them together. I, I, I like that a female character can have male friends, even if Jonathan is interested in her. I, I hope going forward, it doesn't turn into your just conventional love triangle. In a bar, Hopper is undercover, buttering up the state trooper that discovered the body. Hopper trips him up pretty quickly, and Hopper has had enough of being lied to. He follows the guy outside and roughs him up, demanding answers. Paranoia grows as the man fears for his life, tells Hopper that he was told to call it in, and notices a car watching them. As Hopper runs after it, gun drawn, it pulls away, lending credence to his suspicions that there's a larger picture at play. As Elle sits before the radio console at school, we get a flashback, which clarifies her role a little clearer. Brenner is forcing her to spy. Elle using her powers to reach out to Will... Um, seems to amplify his abilities to communicate, or at least weaken the boundary between the two worlds. Joyce peels back the wallpaper to discover the membrane between the two worlds and sees and hears Will through the membrane. He describes the upside down, and we see just how much it takes out of Elle. By the way, uh, Joyce ripping up the wallpaper and, and just smashing through the wall it's it's very judy marshall from black house if you haven't read it it's the sequel to the talisman and in it we have a son who is abducted by an extra dimensional creature the mother believes attempts to reach him um and in her emotional pain rips through the wall to 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 get him so it's it's very it's a very very similar beat nancy and jonathan are in the dark room together and he has his sensitive young man moment about why he takes pictures and seeing the truth of people blah 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 blah. in the dark room they develop the photo that reveals the monster looking like Groot and Hopper wanting to get to the bottom of this fake body situation makes his way back to the coroner's office there's a fun beat where he tries for a second to trick the state cop assigned to the door Watching Hopper's face in this scene, it's fantastic as he quickly resigns himself to the fact that he's going to have to knock this guy out. I love following this guy's arc. Starting off as a pill popper, he becomes a small town superhero by the end. And with the cop knocked out, he examines the body. A surface examination reveals that it looks like a body, but as soon as he touches it, he realizes that something is wrong. He whips out his knife, digs into the body, and like I said earlier, pulls out actual stuffing. 
just so weird and goofy and sinister. Lonnie pays Joyce a visit at her most vulnerable, and Hop decides to sneak into the laboratory. So all in all, guys, I, this was a pretty short review, uh, but this was a great episode. Um, just a lot of fun, and, you know, we have, after this, you know, we were, we're halfway through. Um, and when I first saw this, I said, oh my, you know, I mean, and every episode you just want to keep on going, but this one especially because you, you really start to feel the acceleration of the momentum. So, all right, guys, uh, before I leave, I just want to give a plug on... Um, let's see it's Wednesday I'm recording this on Wednesday um, this weekend Lou and Hans from the Stephen King podcast and I talked about this in my last episode they are going to be releasing uh, an episode that, that, that I guest starred on and it was a, a lot of fun so we just the three of us we were able to geek out on Stephen King talk a lot about uh, all the Stephen King news that's been popping up with the Dark Tower and it um, and we reviewed Cookie Jar and End of Watch. So, uh, you know, it was almost two hours worth of a conversation. I had a lot of fun. Um, I hope to, to pop back up on their, their podcast if they have me again. And uh, once I figure out kind of how to record a Skype conversation, um, I'll, I'll definitely I'll definitely have them on uh, the Stephen King cast. So there'll definitely be more information regarding that in the future. But uh, but keep your your ears open for the Stephen King podcast. You all should subscribe to that if you haven't done so already, because these guys are are leaders in the world of, of Stephen King fandom. Uh, so you definitely should uh, you should be checking them out. So um, Stephen King podcast, check it out. Um, if you haven't left a review on iTunes, the, the more reviews I get, uh, the more legitimate the Stephen King cast is. So I would greatly appreciate it. And uh, so um, I don't know when I'm going to get a chance to uh, record my next episode, but the next episode that I record will be uh, Stranger Things Episode 5. And may you have long days and pleasant nights. And I will see you here next time where M-O-O-N spells Stephen King cast. Marching by the rivers, through the streets, every corner, abandoned to